All right, church, how you doing this morning? Um, here we are again. Uh, I'm here, y'all are there, wherever it is that you're watching from. Um, and no matter where that is, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that, that no matter who you are or where you are, that we really are a church for you. Even during these times that, that, that seem chaotic and seem divisive, um, here at Fellowship, um, if God continues to do what he has been doing, um, you will find a place of healing, you will find a place of hope, you will find a place of inspiration because of the gospel. And for that, I am incredibly, incredibly thankful. My name is Fred, and I am the lead pastor here. And, and I want to start off seeing if I can get some responses going. Since we are in a uh, virtual setting, um, if you're watching on Facebook, you can give me a like uh, after I ask this question. Um, or if you're watching via our website, you can leave a comment and just say amen. Because here's the question I want to throw out there to you. It's this. Do you think the world could use any more of these? Now, let me, let me say what these are, and you give me a like or an amen if, if you think the world could use some more love right now, right? Like, that song's probably stuck in your head right now, but that's all right. Could the world use some more love? Could the world use some more joy right now? Could the world use some more peace right now? How about some more patience? How about some, some, some goodness in the world? Could the world use some more of that, some more faithfulness, some more gentleness, some more self-control? Could the world use any of those? Do you see how those could make the world a better place? If so, give me a, a like or an amen. If you think the world would be a better place with any of those, the next question that you may have is how? How in the world does, does, does the world get more of these? Is it through government? Is it through church? What, how? How does this happen? How does the world become a place that has more love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? How, how does that happen? Well, here's what I'm going to do. That's the question that we're going to ask today. But I'm going to start off and I want to go ahead and give you the answer. And then we'll kind of talk about how that answer is true. Because... The world gets more of these things in a very simple way. And the answer is this, you. The world, the world gets more of these things when you and I have more of these things. So let's do what we just did for the world. Let's make it a little more personal. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a minute and I want you to consider your own heart and your own relationships. And, and give me a like or amen if you could use any more of these things? Could you use any more love in your life? Not just love received, but love given. Could you use more joy in your life? Could you use more peace in your life? More patience, more goodness, more kindness, more faithfulness, more gentleness, more self-control. Could you use any of those in your life? And if so, then it's the same question. The same question applies to you personally as it did when we were talking about the world. The same question is how? How do you and I get more of these things in our life? Now, church, this is a really good question for us to ask, and it's the question that we're going to see unfold for us today in John chapter 15. 
We're going to be in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Um, and as you're getting your Bible and, and, and turning there, or getting your phone and opening up your Bible there, I want to let you know we're in this little series called Thrive. Right? And, and, and here's what we do. Typically, we teach through a book of the Bible, but every once in a while, um, I teach through a series where I pull from different verses uh, to, to drive a point home. And in this series, what I wanted to highlight is something uh, that, that we will see, uh, hopefully, uh, for, for uh, not only this year, but for years to come. And we're going to see it in various ways and, and in various places. And what we're going to see is true for all ages and good for all ages. Whether you're a kid or an adult or whether you're a student, it's good. And, and like I said, I hope for years to come, what we're going to be talking about in this series helps us all to thrive in our relationship with God and, and in our relationship with others. It helps us to thrive in life. And I hope that this is the way, this idea of thrive that we're going to see helps us think about what we call discipleship. And if you remember, like I said last week, discipleship is learning about God and life from someone. That's kind of the simplest definition of discipleship. And I hope that this image captures how we think about that, how we think about our life with God and and how we think about our life and how we share what we know to be true about God and true about life with others. I hope uh, that what we are talking about in this series called Thrive uh, helps us to better fulfill our church's mission of being disciple-making disciples. That's why Fellowship Asheville exists. Now, those of you doing the family worship, the interactive family worship, like Carol introduced, this is the triangle that she said to draw and to write Thrive in the middle. Thrive is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E. That's how you spell thrive. And if you want, you can draw this triangle. And, and listen, whether you're a kid or an adult, maybe grab a piece of paper and, and, and draw out this triangle because this triangle is what I've been talking about because this is how, what we're going to see. We're going to see today um, um, how this triangle helps us form and shape what discipleship is. This summer we had a group of volunteers looking through the scriptures and, and sharing our own experiences with discipleship. And we wanted to capture something that both visually and practically uh, helps us understand the discipleship here at Fellowship. And, and we wanted to boil it down to something very simple, how to thrive in your relationship with Jesus, how to thrive in your relationships, how to thrive in life. Now, if discipleship is the destination, right, to be disciple-making disciples, what we see is these three areas on this triangle are the path to get to that destination. That's why the image for this whole series is ablaze, and I'll explain that during the, 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 the post-sermon chat. But, but what we hope we see is that, is that if, in your life, in your life and in my life, if we are living with Jesus, like it says at the top of the triangle, if we're living in God's Word, and if we're living for others, that greatly increases our ability to thrive in life and to thrive in our spiritual growth. It's like a plant that's planted in a really good place with really good soil. And I affectionately call this image our thrive angle. Get it? Thrive angle, triangle, thrive angle. It's a little cheesy. It's a work in progress. Feel free to leave me comments uh, if it's a yay or a nay or somewhere in between. 
But here's, here's what I want us to do. This application of this is still a work in progress. And so as I teach about this, here's what I want to do. I want to get us all on the same page that, okay, yes, this is what discipleship is. It is my life with Jesus, my life in God's word, and my life for others. And then as a church, y'all, not as me dictating this, that's not the way I lead, As a church, I want us to see what this looks like fleshed out in different ministries, fleshed out in your life. What does it look like to expand this beyond that and and maybe help others beyond, beyond our church, those that you know, help them thrive in their life with Jesus and their life in God's word and their life for others. Now this week, we're gonna focus on one part of that thrive angle. We're gonna focus on our life with Jesus because we're gonna see how our life with Jesus is directly connected to our love and to our joy and to our peace and our patience and our goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We're going to see how our life with Jesus affects all of those. Now, in our passage today, let me tell you what's been going on before we pick up. Jesus has been teaching his disciples, and he's been teaching them about obedience to God and he's been teaching them about peace. And, and, and their question is kind of the same as our question. How? How do you obey God and how do you have peace? It's the same as our question. How do we have more of those things in our life? And what Jesus does is he answers their question of how with a picture. Right? He teaches them what it looks like. And to us, he's going to help us answer our question of how to have more love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Let's look and see what he says. Chapter 15, verse 1 says this. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, this is the picture that he's going to use, right? Because Jesus' disciples and, and those that he, were, he was teaching to would be very familiar with the picture that Jesus is invoking them to think about because he's talking about a vineyard. And, and in ancient Israel, there were vineyards everywhere. There were great, great vineyards. There were gro- olive groves. Like it was a very agriculture-based uh, society. And so when he said vine and vineyard, like people knew what he was talking about. And, and, and let me ask you, have you ever been in a vineyard before? If so, then you know what picture Jesus is bringing into, into their minds. Because what's unique about vineyards is that grapevines in a vineyard, the grapevines don't grow wild. Right? It's not like, like, the, like all of a sudden this grape uh, plant sprouts up and somebody declares it a vineyard. No, those, those, those vineyards and those grapevines are planted in a specific place for a specific reason because of the, of the sun that hits the side of the hill, because of the water that it gets, because like all this stuff. And those vines don't go wild. They're tended to. They're, they grow on trellises and they grow on wires that are set up so that the, the vine can get as much uh, air and as much sunlight as it needs, which is why Jesus says this about this vineyard that he's picturing. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, some of you may have, may have a Bible that says, my father is the gardener. That's, that's what it says in the NIV, I believe. That's what a vine dresser is. And so what Jesus is saying is in this picture of a vineyard, picture him, picture Jesus being the vine, and picture God, the father, being the gardener, being the vine dresser, which means Jesus is saying, just like a grape plant, a grape vine doesn't grow wild, and neither do I. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to go rogue 
on you. Now remember, he was just teaching about obedience and he was just teaching about peace. And what he wants them to know is the stuff that he is teaching, the stuff that Jesus is teaching, he's not making it up. Like he is doing exactly what God has wanted him to do because like a gardener picks where the vine is planted and the gardener picks where the vine grows, God has a specific plan and a specific purpose for Jesus. And like the grapevine, Jesus goes where God moves him. And, and, and I want us to put this picture in our minds because it, it, it's important for us understanding Thrive is that Jesus goes where God moves. Jesus goes where God moves. That's, that's what he's implying. It means God moves this way. Guess where Jesus is going? That way. God moves the other way. Guess where Jesus is going? The other way. As a matter of fact, earlier in this book, right now we're in chapter 15. If you would turn back to, to chapter 5, here's what you would see. Jesus, in talking to these people that have questioned him, not as disciples, but those who don't believe in him, he, they question him, and Jesus says very plainly, he says, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. And so notice what Jesus says about himself, because y'all, I think it's key for us to understand what it means to thrive in our relationship with God and to thrive in, in our life. And it means, and, and it's why, the very top of this thrive angle is with Jesus because Jesus said the son can do nothing by himself. The son can do nothing by himself. Now let those words sink in for just a minute because the Bible says that Jesus is the very son of God. And being the son of God, it means, as the scripture say, says, that he has been there for as long as there's been a there to been there for, that Jesus helped create the world. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say that Jesus holds all things together. So, so, so the things that we see and the things we can't see are all held together by Jesus, right? And, and Jesus, that one who holds all things together, the ones who, writ the, who wrote the words in our Bible, he is saying that he can do nothing by himself, that he needs a relationship with God the Father to do anything. Now, I, I don't know about you, but let me tell you a little bit about me. I get very comfortable doing things by myself. Maybe even a little too familiar doing things by, my, by myself. I, I, in my life, I do lots by myself, right? I don't even ask for help when help would be helpful. Hence the name, help, right? I don't ask God for help when I know or think that he could help me. I still have this, this mindset in me that if we just keep going and I just pull myself by, by my bootstraps or whatever, I can do this. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who holds everything together, he is God. He said, listen, I can't do anything unless God is doing it. You see, I bet the disciples are kind of like you and me in this. They're listening to Jesus say this, and I bet they're thinking, really, everything? How about some things? Let's just say I can do some things on my own, and some things I'll do what God is doing. But Jesus says, no, all things, which is why. Here's what he's about to do. So he just laid this, this truth on them. Listen, guys, I can't do anything unless God is doing it. And now he's going to switch it a little bit, and he's going to talk to the disciples about what their relationship with him needs to look like. And then we're going to see what that produces. 
In other words, when we do what Jesus says he does, it produces something in us um, that God wants to see in us, that God helps us to do. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this. It says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And so here we see as Jesus talks about the disciples, because, because he's going to say, I'm the vine and you are the branches. So he's talking about his disciples. He says, listen, when you, when you do with me what I do with God, you get to bear fruit. Now, we're going to talk about what fruit is here in a minute. But I want us to understand what Jesus is saying that the gardeners actually does here. Because uh, there's a lot of, of confusing things about about what this means for the disciples, what this means that Jesus is teaching. Because he says, basically, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, if you're a person who has said yes to Jesus, if you're a person who follows Jesus, there are two paths of your life, two options. One of those is that you bear fruit, right? And we'll talk about what fruit is in a minute. And the other one is that you don't bear fruit. So you do bear fruit or you don't bear fruit. The question is, what Jesus is addressing here and what there's been a whole lot of, of ink spilled on papers for and a whole lot of conversations about is, man, what is Jesus saying happens to the person who has said yes to following Jesus, but their life isn't bearing more fruit? What is, what is Jesus saying happens there? Because the ESV, uh, the Bible verse that we just read, the version that I read it in, uh, the ESV says that they will be taken away. The NIV, which is another version of the Bible, another English version, says that they will be cut off. Well, neither one of these capture the image of, of, of what the original language is talking about. Because we read this, and here's what we think, and y'all, we've got to get this right because it speaks to the heart of God and speaks honestly to our failures, Because we read this and we see words like cut off and we see words like taken away. And we think that means if you don't bear fruit in your life, God is going to cut you off and God is going to take you away. But here's the deal. In the original language, that's not what it says, nor does it match up with the heart of God. Because God never throws away his children. He just doesn't do that. He wouldn't do that. That doesn't line up with the heart of God. Because this word doesn't mean to cut off and to throw away. It actually means to lift up. And it's the gardener taking the vine that isn't producing fruit. And what he does is he lifts that vine up. He lifts that branch up so that it gets more sunlight. So that he pulls it out of the mud and mire that it's stuck in so that it can get what it needs. He moves it closer to other vines so it can, it can cross-pollinate. He moves that branch in the best place that that branch can be so that it can produce fruit. You see, our God, our gardener, he doesn't throw away vines not producing fruit. He moves them to a place where they can thrive. And so, Let me ask you this. Anybody ever have God move you out of one environment that was actually limiting your spiritual growth and move you into a different environment that helps you produce more spiritual growth, that helps you produce more fruit in your life? Adults, here's here's what I've seen. As a counselor for, for years, here's what I've seen. I have seen a follower of Jesus in a really bad relationship. Now, whether it's dating, I mean, I've seen it get all the way up to engagement. It breaks my heart when it's in marriage, but, but, but they're in this really bad relationship. And here's the deal. Dating and engagement, everybody around this person is telling them, 
you are in a bad relationship. They keep saying, no, this is a great relationship. They love me. They care for me. But everyone around them is saying that it is a bad relationship. And here's how I can tell that it's a bad relationship. Because their relationship with God is suffering. Right? They stop bearing that fruit in their life. Now, maybe, maybe it's not a bad relationship. Maybe you're a student or a kid and, and you're in this environment. Maybe, and, and who knows what it is, but here's how you can tell is that you, you stop obeying your parents, right? The thing that Jesus was, was talking about, obeying God, and God says to honor your mom and dad, and, and you find yourself not obeying your parents. You find yourself, if you're a student, not taking the wisdom that your parents have taught you and, and applying it. You find yourself going against them. Maybe for anybody, you, you find yourself isolating from those who know that you, that, that you know that they would speak godly wisdom to you. And so, so you just kind of stop talking to them. You stop asking for wise counsel for yourself. You stop listening to the truth. You, you might find you become very easily frustrated then. You become very insecure. You become angry. Well, here's, here's what happens. If you've ever experienced this, maybe that relationship dissolves. Maybe whatever that environment is that's causing you to step away from godly parents changes and, and you realize you start stepping to those godly parents again. And, and, and maybe it was a friendship that pulled you away or whatever, but it just dissolves and you find yourself back in a place where all of a sudden you realize you have more patience. You're not frustrated anymore. You, you have more joy. You're not angry anymore. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, you realize uh, that that insecurity has turned to confidence and you begin listening to wisdom and truth again. If that's ever happened to you, then you have experienced what Jesus says happens here to those who have said yes to following Jesus and don't bear fruit. You have experienced being lifted up. You have experienced being moved from one environment to another so that you can bear fruit. Well, the other thing that Jesus says happens to those who do bear fruit is that they get pruned, which means, which means Jesus will cut back some branches so that you can bear more fruit. That's what a gardener does. He cuts the vine back so that it can grow and so that it can grow more fruit. Now, here's what this means, and here's why this is important is that this, Jesus is saying, God, the Father, the gardener, wants you and helps you bear more fruit. In all of this, this is showing what God's desire is for those who say yes to him, for those who follow them, and it is to bear fruit, that God wants you to, and God helps you grow as much fruit as possible. That's God's heart, that he wants you to have more love in your life. He wants you to, to bear fruit fruit. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you, which seems weird. Like, like Jesus is talking about, uh, he's talking about a vineyard, and he's talking about a gardener, and he's talking about vines, and all of a sudden he talks about being clean. What is, what is this about? Let me tell you what, what I think Jesus is doing here. Remember, he's talking to his disciples, and he's talking to those who have already said yes to following him. He is talking to those who were curious, but now they're committed. Well, Jesus here is reminding them that they are clean, that they are without sin, that they are without dirt. Now, here's what I mean by that, and here's why this is important. In all of our lives, we have things that make us feel dirty, whether it's what we see with our eyes 
that makes us feel dirty, whether it's what we do with our hands or with our bodies that make us feel dirty, or whether it's what we say with our mouths that make us feel dirty. And when we think about praying and we think about standing before God, uh, we have this feeling of dirt in our life. Well, feeling dirty. Well, feeling dirty by what we do or what we say or what we see, that feeling dirty points you to the sin that's in your life. And when we think about standing before God and we think about standing before him dirty, it's too much because the truth is when we do stand before God, we are dirty because of sin unless you have said yes to Jesus. Because when you say yes to Jesus, his death and burial and resurrection takes away the penalty and the power of that sin, which means when you say yes to Jesus and you, and you say yes to following him and yes to being his disciple, he washes that sin away. Does that mean you no longer look at what made you dirty, what made you feel dirty? Does that mean you no longer say what made you feel dirty? Does that mean you no longer do what made you feel dirty? Not necessarily. It can. It can, and hopefully as your, as your life goes on and on and on, those things get less and less and less. But what it means is that when God sees you because of Jesus, he sees you as clean. And so right now, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, and you haven't let him wipe the power and the penalty of that sin away and to give you this feeling of being clean before God, and it's not just a feeling, it's actually a truth. The scriptures say that we are washed as white as snow and our sins are cast away as far as the east is from the west. Which, by the way, here's what's great about casting sins as far away as the east is from the west. If you ever look at a globe, the east never connects with the rest. The north and south, you can go from north to south. The east and west are as far apart as you can possibly get because they, they just don't intersect each other. If that makes sense. But the point is that Jesus makes us clean. And so if, if, if today is the day that you want to say yes to Jesus' offer of salvation, here's what I want you to do. Leave a comment on Facebook. Make a comment right now if you're watching church online on our website and someone from our prayer team will join you. And, and they, will, they will pray with you as you say yes to Jesus and commit your life to following him. But here's the deal too. Remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples and they have said yes. So why is Jesus reminding them of this? Why is Jesus saying that, 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 that they're clean because they follow him? It's, it's because of this. It's because Jesus wants, us to rem, wants to remind us that we can trust him and his word to be true. That we are clean before God, which means we can't let yesterday's dirt hold us back from today's growth. Because we're clean. We have been forgiven. Now we still confess it as sin and we still repent of it and we make relationships right where they need to be right. But that sin has no power and no penalty for us anymore because Jesus has taken it. Next, look at what Jesus shows because he shows how to bear that fruit. In verse four, it says this. It says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this word abide and remain. Now we don't use the word abide very much unless you're in a church setting. Church people know what abide means, but, but it's not a word that we commonly use outside of church, is it? Well, here's, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you, if you, if you want to let 
God help you bear fruit in your life. And here's what you need to do. You stay with Jesus. That's what he's saying. You stay with Jesus. That's what to abide means. That's what to thrive means. Now, now, now it means to be with. It means to stay with kids. Let me ask you this. Our, our parents, maybe you said this, but kids, have you ever heard your mom and dad say, stay put? Now, it usually has the word now in front of it. Now, stay put. Anybody have your parents say that? Or parents, any of you out there have said that maybe recently? Well, what do your parents mean when they say stay put? They mean stay where you are. Don't move. Right? Don't move from where you are. Stay exactly where you are. Well, this is what abide means. Abide means to stay with Jesus. To stay put with Jesus. Let me give you an application of what this looks like. At our staff meetings, we, we meet every week for staff, and, and every once in a while I'll ask this question to see where we all are in staying put with Jesus. I'll ask this. I'll say, are you working for Jesus right now, or are you working with Jesus? Because here's the difference. Now, I know it's just a little play on words, but I think it makes all the difference in how we, as, as the staff of Fellowship Asheville, do our work. Because, because it captures what abide means. Because here's the deal. If you're working for someone, they give you the directions. They give you your job description. And guess what? I mean, if you're working for someone, they give you the job description. They give you the directions. And off you go to do your job. Right? You, 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 can, you can be lonely while you do it. Working for someone can actually be exhausting because the whole time you're working, you're like, I don't know, is this what they really want me to do? Is this right? And then you bring your work to them to show them, and, and they tell you what you did right, and then they tell you what you did wrong. And, and oftentimes, when you're working for someone, you can feel like a failure because of the stuff that you did wrong. Working with someone is vastly different because you're in it together and you're learning together as you're doing it. Even if they know what you're supposed to be doing, the fact that you're with them, you're learning as you do it. And so when you're working with someone, it can be a completely different experience. And so for us as staff, when we're working with Jesus in the work that he has called us to do, it is a completely different experience than working for Jesus. Now, let me make this a little more personal for you, not about work, but about your life. Are you living for Jesus or are you living with Jesus? Are you living for Jesus or are you living, living with Jesus? Because let me tell you, your answer to this question makes all the difference as to whether or not you're surviving through life right now are thriving in life right now. And y'all, I'm going to tell you, there, there are days, there are weeks where I feel like I am surviving, particularly right now, particularly with all things COVID. And honestly, too, even, uh, even going back to virtual for this season, like, it has been hard. And, and it feels like I am surviving more than thriving. So, so don't hear me say, I've got this down and I'm doing it. There are still lots of areas in my life where I feel like I am living for Jesus instead of with Jesus, where I feel like I've got my directions, I know what I'm supposed to do, and I'm walking it alone. And Jesus has a much better plan, and it's to do what he's asked me to do, but to do it with him, not without him. 
And see, when, 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 when you're living for Jesus, because that's what it feels like, right? It feels like you've got your directions, uh, you know what you need to do, and you're on your own to make it happen. Life, living life for Jesus oftentimes makes me feel like a failure most of the time. But here's the difference. Living life with Jesus, that's a completely different experience because living life with Jesus is a life where failures meet grace. Right? It's a life where, where insecurities are transformed into confidence because Jesus is walking with you. You are walking with Jesus. It's learning and moving with Jesus. See, living life with Jesus is living life with this fruit that God intends. And so let's talk about that fruit real quick. As we kind of close down, what is this fruit that we've been talking about? Well, Paul, who was a New Testament writer that, that came after Jesus, and he wasn't even one of these original disciples. We, we, we learned about Paul's life when we went through the book of Acts. But, but he, he was this church planter, and, and he kind of took these words of Jesus that he said, and he expounded on them. And he, he helped us understand what fruit is. And it's actually one of my favorite passages. It's in the book of Galatians. And I'll tell you why it's my favorite passage as I read through it. But here's what Paul says in Galatians uh, chapter 5. It, it, I'm, I'm kind of combining between 22 and 25. I'm putting them all together. But he says this. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, guess what? It's the words I've been saying, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so he defines what fruit is. But then if you look at verse 25, and this is my favorite part, he says, okay, here's how you have that fruit in your life. He says, if we live by the Spirit, in other words, if we have said yes to Jesus, because Jesus said that he was going to send the comforter, he was going to give us something even greater than, than himself, and that is the Holy Spirit. And so when we say yes to Jesus, the very Spirit of God is with us. Each of us individually, not just us as a church, but each of us individually. And Paul is saying, if we live by that Spirit, then here's how to have that fruit. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, in, in, the, in the Greek, this, this word is, is brilliant because this word with is a picture of an army marching down uh, the, the street. It's a, it's a picture of an army marching, and their commander is, is with them and leading the troops, and every step he takes, they, they take. If he, turns, if he turns one way, they turn that way. If he turns the other way, they turn the other way, and they are keeping in step with their commander as he leads them, and they are walking with their commander. That's what this picture is. It's, it's why it's one of my favorite verses, because it captures this idea that, that life, we thrive in life when we walk with the Spirit, when we walk with Jesus. And so that's the fruit that God helps us produce in our life, and, and what he produces that love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's what we all said, at least at least I think all. I mean, I don't know. I, didn't, I have, can't see the comments. I'm hoping y'all commented. But it's what we said the world needs. It's what we said we need, each of us. And the way that the gardener, the way that God the Father has designed us to, to bear that kind of fruit is to keep in step with him. And so what does it look like to thrive? What does it look like to thrive in our relationship with God? And what does it look like to thrive in our life? It is a life with Jesus. And like I said earlier, 
Maybe your first step to a life with Jesus is to say yes to following him. Now, listen, don't get caught up in everything that that means. If, 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 if the Lord is prompting your heart right now to say yes to following him, then just do it. He's worth it. But for those who have said yes to, to, to following him and acknowledging our own sin and our dirtiness and accepting Jesus' offer of salvation, for those of us who have said yes to that, what does it mean for you to live your life with Jesus? Well, it means this. It means to stop living your life like, like it is a set of directions from God and it is up to you to just do it. Because that life will leave you feeling like a failure most of the time. It means every day, maybe multiple times a day, stopping and doing this little brain shift of I'm not working for Jesus, I'm working with Jesus. I'm going to do what Jesus is doing. And we'll talk about this in our post-sermon chat. I want to talk about what does it mean practically to, to live life with Jesus. And I'll tell you one thing that I've noticed. It means life takes a whole lot more time than you think it's going to. Because Jesus is very sure and very certain of his steps. And those steps aren't on our watches. Well, nobody wears, well, you might have an uh, uh, Apple watch, but, but it's not on our time schedule, right? And so we take that time to shift our thinking from living for Jesus to with Jesus, and it means living in step with the Holy Spirit as God moves. And so, so what I want you to do this week is I want you to ask yourself this question. It's this, what, is it, what does with Jesus mean for me today? What does with Jesus mean for me today? Because look at verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Just like he can't do anything unless God does it, he's saying we can't bear fruit without being with Jesus. With Jesus, we can thrive. With Jesus, we can bear more fruit. With Jesus, we can bear more love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Because church, when we have more of those The world gets more of those. Let's be a people walking with Jesus. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are a good God, and and your desire is for us to bear fruit. Your desire is for us to walk with you. And so, God, I pray that you would help us as a church do that. You would help us walk with you. You would help us um, know when we're working for you and living for you instead of living with you. And Father, I do pray that that people would experience a freedom and a confidence in the Lord this week that they haven't had before in their life because they are walking with you instead of for you. And God, I pray that they would sense your smile. In Christ's name I pray, amen.